this is Rachel. Hey, this is Spencer. And this is Neon Boots, the 90s country music podcast. Oh, shit. <laughs> we didn't decide who was going to introduce Reese. Did I? Spencer, it's on you. <laughs> We're going to edit this out. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I, kinda, I was going to say, keep it. Yeah. Great. So, he'll, go, so, he'll go put that in the, we'll, in the beginning. We'll see about that. So today with us, we have Reese Palmer. <laughs> Thank you, because I honestly forgot your last name for a second. That's why you just stared at Which me. Is I didn't know what was going on. Spencer. At first, I was like, "Should I be like?" And I'm Reese. Like, like, that would have been Hello. wonderful. No, I'm sorry. The, our our guest that is more professional than Spencer and I are. <laughs> that doesn't take much. So uh, that's all state name, by the way. Yeah. Well, welcome, Reese. <laughs> Thanks for not immediately walking out the door as soon as we hey. showed our asses there for it's a second. It's all good. It's all it's good. very professional seeming otherwise. So it's yeah. the first unprofessional hint right there. It's all good. First strike. All right. Let's next batter up for strike two. Okay, so Reese, you are a musician. I am a singer-songwriter. Tell us a little bit about your work and how it connects to all of this. All of this. (laughs) (laughs) So I started my career in country music and um, in 2007 I released my first album. It was self-titled and I released my first single. um, It was called Country Girl and at the time in 2007 I became the first African-American woman in 20 years I think to have a song on the country charts Mm -hmm. at that time. I have since released a children's album with the birth of my first daughter, because mm-hmm. you can only hear the wheels on the bus so many times <laughs> before you want to stab. And then I released that independently and a Christmas album. And I'm about to release a new album in October. Awesome. So Yeah. Very cool. So do you know who the previous African-American woman was on the chart? Uh, Her name was Donna Mason. Okay. And I think the name of the song is uh, My Brown. Green Eyes. Green Eyes Crying Those Blue Tears. Yes. That one. And it was like 1987. I was going to say 20 years before that would have been Mm -hmm. late late 80s. Yeah. So just outside the realm of this podcast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, can you talk some about how you got into country in the first place, in terms of listening to it and all that? Sure. I actually started listening to country with my mother. My mom is from, like, this really small town in Georgia called Mm -hmm. Somerville. And Somerville has, like, one radio station, Mm -hmm. and so it plays everything. And so she listened to everything. So, in my house, it didn't seem weird to me Mm -hmm. until maybe high school Mm. that you know, as a black family that we listen to Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton and Patsy Cline mm-hmm. and all these different people. And in addition to Aretha Franklin and right. Sly and the Family Stone and that sort of thing. So like my musical trajectory, I guess, was kind of already implanted then. Yeah. Like to be like this mixture of all these different things mm-hmm. that I heard because it was never a straight ahead traditional country. Mm-hmm. It's always been country with like a lot of soul influence, a lot of gospel influence, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So, yeah, I just like my earliest memories are me and my mom on Saturday mornings when you put on a record player and you clean your house. Yeah. And your pajamas till your daddy gets home and you hurry up and get dressed so it doesn't look like you've been in your pajamas all night. <laughs> um, listening to country records in addition to R&B records. Yeah. That's cool. Have you watched any of the PBS country music 
I did. You talking about the mixture of like country and R and B and soul mm-hmm. reminded me of a couple of episodes where they kind of dive yeah. into how those two genres influenced each other back and forth. Well, my favorite episode that actually touched on race, because I was curious how DP was going to get into that. Uh-huh. And like knowing Ken Burns' previous work, like right. I knew that he would touch on it. Right. Because he's very thorough. I love the first episode where they talk about like a lot of this came from the slave song. Yeah. Like a lot of the artists were trying to sound like mm-hmm. black artists and mm-hmm. like back and forth. And so they took a lot of influence from both of them. And yeah, I mean, it never seemed weird to me again, like right. until I was in high school and I was like, maybe I should turn this Trisha Yearwood down. Like, is this, everyone's looking at me. Trisha, like, Trisha Yearwood down. I know, down. I know. It's just was like, I remember in high school, I'd have my CD. So I got like, my dad for my birthday bought me a CD player mm-hmm. for my car and it was like a six disc changer thing yeah that's fancy (laughs) i was like oh my god i love you so much so i had all my cds in there and like i had shania twain i had trisha yearwood and then i had the soundtrack to rush hour okay (laughs) it was like the filthiest yeah soundtrack ever but like i loved it so i'd get in the car and like any man of mine and all that would be playing and then by the time i got to the parking lot i knew that i had to like we call it parking lot floss. Yes. <laughs> so I knew I had to floss when I got in the parking lot. So then I'd switch to hurry up and switch to rush hour and then roll the windows down. And it's like, can I get it? Yeah. And it was like Jay-Z and Ja Rule. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, see, guys, I'm cool, too. <laughs> like, and you grew up not in the South, right? Like more in the Midwest? Midwest. I grew up in Eureka, Missouri, which is right outside of St. Louis. Okay. Yes. Lots of Walmart. There. Walmart. So was country music like a big deal there? I mean, I don't know how it compares to here growing up. So yes and no. Okay, so the unique thing about Eureka was that we had, in St. Louis, they had a thing called voluntary desegregation Mm -hmm. at the schools. Mm -hmm. And so black kids oftentimes were busting from like East St. Louis or from the city. We just happened to live mm-hmm. in Chesterfield, which was right outside of Eureka. So I lived there. Right. And yeah, a lot of the kids in the suburbs liked country music mm-hmm. and like pop music and whatever. Like Britney Spears was happening at that right. time. Right. So like that was kind of the thing and Shania was crossing over mm-hmm. and so that was a big deal. And I remember there was a girl every day in the cafeteria who would play any man of mine. And, like, to the point, like, everyone hated it. Like, it didn't oh, even matter. Like, that sounds just, great. I heard it. Like, no, literally, every day when we walk in, she was playing on the jukebox. So, Wait, there's a jukebox? Yeah, in we had a jukebox. That's what? awesome. No, it was like, a, it was an old play. jukebox. But, but like, they had yeah, Shania Twain on it. But they had Shania Twain on it. And there were, like, very few choices because, of course, you couldn't play, like, filthy songs. Right. Right. So, like, thong song couldn't play. <laughs> like that. But, like, it was, yeah. So, um... I love that we have a Cisco reference on yeah, this podcast it's good. Now. It's good. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I graduated from in 1999. So, like, that was what was happening. Mm-hmm. And, like, baby one more time. But, like, any man of mine play every day. So, like... I hate to make it right, but it was like a lot of the white kids like country music yeah. and the black kids did not because right. it was decidedly white music, quote mm-hmm. unquote. And so it always made me feel like I had to choose gotcha. if I wanted to fit in mm-hmm. with these kids. And this is what I wanted to do. But like, really, this is what I'm listening to as well. And I like <laughs> and I like both of them. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was like a thing. Yeah. But it was basically it set the map for the rest of my life. Yeah. So 
Did you ever admit that or get caught listening to country oh, music? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Not until... No. I wanted to go to the prom and homecoming, so no. Oh, um, I No one knew until I until my record came out and I came back to St. Louis and they were like, dude, I didn't know you liked country music. I had a friend, they had a billboard of me apparently in the city where he lived. I was on for the local radio station uh-huh. and he was like, yo, that's recent. I went to school with her. I didn't know you like country music. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, I did. I was closeted until I left. Classic country Eureka. <laughs> I've never before wished this was a video thing, but Reese's face just then was... No, that's like saying like I don't know. I'm I love I love that you equated it with I need to go to prom and homecoming. Therefore, I cannot listen. to I need boys to ask me out, so like I can't be like Oh my god, I love Fitzgill. So we gotta play the same like Shania Twain first. They ease into it. Ease them in. Yeah, it's fun. This is fun. So, when did the Dixie Chicks, which is the song that you chose mm-hmm. today, were they one of the CDs in your six CD rotation? Yes. So, I first learned about the Dixie Chicks, I believe, I'm trying to think, I've been thinking about this. Mm-hmm. So, I think it was the Grammys. Okay. My junior year? That would have been like 98? Yeah, 98. Okay. It was either 98 or 97. I can't remember when they did I Can Love You Better Than That. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they did There's Your Trouble. That's what they did on the Grammys. Yeah, and that was the spring of 98 when that was a yes. single. So I assume that's when they would have been and on the Grammys with it. Yeah, that was the first time that I had ever seen them. And I was like, oh, my God, they're so cute. Like, they had their cute little haircuts. Uh-huh. And, like, they were wearing bright colors and stuff. Like, it wasn't, like, all sequined and rhinestone down. Right. Like, they actually looked like how everybody was looking right. right at the time with the spiky and the frosty lipstick. Did, did you mind. watch that video I sent y'all yesterday with Cheryl Crow and Dixie yes. Chicks? Their look was like so nice. It was it like, was I mean, so I know, I know, 90s down. Yeah, I know other times it was too, but I was just like, man, this is like 90s to the extreme. Like, like, you could put that in Tom Cap. <laughs> yeah. Like the choker necklaces, and like the, oh, yeah. the pink, like long sleeve shirts underneath their like tight black t shirts. Like, yes. just everything such. came from Delia's. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yes, Delia's. Yes. No, so I just remember seeing them and I was like, I really like this. Like, I really, really like, I love the juxtaposition of like their extremely contemporary look mm-hmm. and like, like these very traditional sounds, instruments yeah. and sounds that they were making and so I was just like I love them so I listened to it and then when I went to college summer 99 and my roommate was from Michigan and I love her Erica I'm shouting you out Erica. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you when you can listen to this so Erica when I first moved in started playing the Dixie Chicks like playing um this was uh, Ready to Run and Fly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she played it all the time. Like, all the time. And at first I was like, eh, I don't, like, I was still, like, being like, eh, I don't know if I want to admit. Like, seriously, I love this. <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad that you're playing this. <laughs> and yeah, and so I just, I've been a fan ever since. Yeah. You were mine in particular. Mm-hmm. Just always, like, it used to make me sob. Like, I'm not even lying. Like, just cry. Yeah. And you know how melodramatic you are when you're 17 and, like, 18. <laughs> of course. And so, like, everything's, <laughs> and they're talking about me. And, like, I had no, like, 
no experience, no life experience. I was going to say, 17 year old that lent to any of this. I just was dramatic. <laughs> now, I will say, like, whenever I, whenever we talked about having you on and you chose this song, I went back and listened and I definitely got that, like, you lump love. in your throat where you're like, okay, I want to cry, but this is dumb. I'm not going to cry. But um, as, like, a parent, especially, that bridge or oh whatever, God, where she's like, reasons. oh yeah. my God. And I was like, this is breaking me right now. Yeah. And I think that I had also been listening to the high women right before that. And I consistently cry. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you sat down earlier and said something about you got to go home to feed the baby after this, I was like, the line and the high women right, right. driving 80, trying to get home just to feed the baby. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel that all the time. And that makes me cry because of this like just mom life it's a mom thing yeah i relate to it down mm-hmm. on a different level than i did when then. you were 17 because <laughs> then it was just like oh that's so sad and like now it's like oh i got my life like <laughs> if brian ever left me like it just yeah it was just right. yeah and i have two now and so it's right, just like so- oh my god yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> well do you want to think about that until just now. <laughs> oh my god do you want to listen to a little bit of it sure Okay, so one thing about this song that we were talking about while we were listening to it is it had a big impact on the Dixie Chicks becoming the Dixie Chicks because before Nellie Maines was the lead singer, she sang on a demo of this because her dad was producing some demos and they already had a lead singer, Laura Lynch, and it sounds a little bit underhanded where he was kind of saying she wasn't available for personal reasons so we'll just have Natalie sing on it and then she kind of blew the rest of the band away and you know that convinced her also like this was a format she could do and then she became the lead singer and we talked on a recent episode with Scott Phillips too how Lloyd Maines also brought Wide Open Space to them because of another band he was producing so kind of a good combination of He's like Ma- the puppet puppet master behind <laughs> right. all of this. Chick. Right, right. <laughs> but you were saying days. that the former lead singer made it okay. I saw on there behind the music that she won the lottery <laughs> shortly. So she's fine. She yeah, has a ranch in fine. Texas and she's rich. So she's so. she probably bit her for like a month and then won the lottery. Like, oh, okay. I guess Good. I can deal with it. Good luck to you. She had to deal with all the political fallout of the Dixie Chicks and all that. Since you bring that up, I read an old article about their first show of their first tour after all of that George Bush stuff happened in 2003 was actually in Greenville, South Carolina at the Bilo Center, which like I grew up near there. So if I went to big shows, it was at the Bilo Center. And they were talking about how all these people were going to protest and some conservative radio host decided to schedule a second concert with the Marshall Tucker Band. (laughs) 
for the people that didn't want to go see the Dixie Chicks, they could go see the Marshall Tucker Band. <laughs> those seem like two different audiences yeah, anyway. Say, like, it's do those like, things intersect? Yeah, it's not like, oh, they're playing the same night. Who am I going to see? Like, well, but apparently, like, I don't know if it was due to that, but there were, like, very few protesters at the Bilo Center that night. Oh, that worked. And or people even, were just talking shit about protesting. And they're like, eh. And they're like, oh, I don't actually feel I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> I don't feel like making this time. That, that, was, <laughs> that was a while ago. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then even, like, during the concert, I think that it said they paused and Natalie was like, we'll give anybody who's here and wants to protest 15 seconds to get all the shit out of your system. And it was, like, nobody said anything. That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's another reason why I love them. That was really stupid. Like, <laughs> yes. I just, I hated that that Not, not what them. they did, but just No, 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 not what they did. Yeah. Like... Please, people do worse now. Yeah. Oh my God! Like if you were to transplant that to now to two thousand nineteen, it wouldn't even be a blip. Yeah, it'd be like someone said something. Oh, okay, cool. cool. <laughs> Moving on. Well, and just music in general is always so like passionate and has some political undercurrents, whether you intend to or not. So why think that it's going to be any different with them? I mean, I just, they inspired me in a a lot of ways because of that. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, if you're going to hate me for what I honestly, truly believe, then you should probably hate me. Right. (laughs) Like, you should just probably go on and do it because you're really not going to like what I really think. Like, that was her editing. Uh Uh-huh. So imagine what was really behind closed doors. You really won't like me. It's fine. Yeah, I watched that documentary a few months ago. I think we talked about mm-hmm. it in some episode that was kind of like, I mean, it was their whole career, but it was a big chunk of it kind of focused on that. And yeah, looking back out from 2019, it was like, one, wasn't a big deal what she said, but two, like way overreaction to. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of it, I got the tone of like, it's an outspoken woman. You know, like, oh, there's a lot of misogyny. Yeah, that was totally what it was. It, that wasn't anything but misogyny. So our managers were out of the same company Mm -hmm. at that time. And I was signed to Ron Gilliard and they were signed to a different agent, but within the same. So like we knew a lot of what was going on behind the scenes. And it was just like they were getting real, like real death threats. Like Ron was just like, I went down to the other office and I read some of the, like, these are like real, like they're real, people are pissed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, really? And I remember at the time, like, we were doing my first radio tour at that time. And so it was just like, really? Like, this is really... Well, that article about their show in Greenville said they had bomb-sniffing dogs out the week before. And the whole building was locked down. And there was only one entrance in and out. And you'd get wanded every time you went in. Yeah. Just the absolute extreme. I remember in the documentary, they were, like, checking for, like, people, like, snipers, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. all this shit. And I was like... Was That's it crazy. Even? Yeah. Dixie Chicks concert. <laughs> I know this has been more of a topic lately with women in country music in terms of exposure and being played on the radio and all that. Did you experience that when you were in Nashville? Is this look you're giving me is like, oh shit, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm smiling because I'm like, well, no, actually, yeah, yeah. It's, um... It's a different game for women than it is for men. Mm -hmm. And then it's a whole other game when you are a brown woman and in a man's, a white man's game. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm trying to think of like stories that I can tell (laughs) that won't incriminate, (laughs) directly incriminate. No, I mean like, so radio tour, 
is when your radio rep takes you and you basically visit just about every damn radio station in the United States right. that is a reporter. They come in like three different types. So you either go out to dinner and hang out and let them get a feel for you, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or you go in and you have an office visit and they invite the whole office to come in and you perform. Or they'll do like, they'll tie it in and make it like a radio promotion. And mm-hmm. so then the public is invited and you do like a whole thing. You bring in lunch and you maybe do a performance and sign pictures, kiss babies, that whole thing. <laughs> so my favorites were when we did like the lunch thing and everybody came in because a lot of times dinner would get like really uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. That's because you imagine. go and like you're drinking and like. You know, sometimes we would end up at a strip club or like sometimes, you know, almost always we're at a steakhouse Mm -hmm. and you're talking and like everybody's, oh, tell me about it. And like, so like I had to get inappropriate maybe like one or two times. And I mean, considering the percentage of times that shit like that happens to women. One or two times is not that bad. Not that bad. Not bad. That's awful that that is like. That that's the case. Yeah, and like, and then we, so we would have fun with it. Like, mm-hmm. I remember one person asked me to send them a picture of my boobs. And so we put my knees together. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, how are you having fun and, with it? <laughs> and we took a picture of it and cracked up while we did it. And I was yeah. like, this is funny. And so I sent it to him and I was like, hey, I'm like how do you like that? Did he, he fall like, for oh. it? He totally did. <laughs> put, what an idiot. We put like a shirt like around the thing so it looked like there was like a necktie and like... <laughs> So just dumb stuff like that or like, you know, people ask you for your phone number or something Mm -hmm. and then want to like make it seem like it's for like, oh, just in case I need to call you about song or do an interview. (laughs) And then it's like, text, text, what are you doing? How are you? You up? (laughs) Right. Hey, big head. Like, so it was like, it was like that. And then a lot of times it was just like, you get really cold shoulder kind of thing mm-hmm. because oh you're black and I don't really know what to talk to you about yeah I was or gonna, like yeah. I was gonna ask were there any situations where they didn't know who you were know anything about you and then you come in the room and they're like oh <laughs> who is this woman no um, this isn't what we were madam expecting. the R&B station is down the hallway no um by the time we'd done the radio tour, mm-hmm. my video had been out. Oh, okay. So most everybody knew what I looked like yeah. and who I was. And so it was more so like, oh, really? So you like country? When did you start listening to country music? Oh. And like I had... Which actually, men do that to women yeah. anyway. And then I'm sure it's just like ramped up Men's, even more. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, so are you just doing this so you can cross over to pop? And like That's that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I decided this would be the easier route for right, me to get to right. Pop. Oh, right? <laughs> Like, why didn't I, like, that's like, I, I should have just, oh, should I have done Spanish music? Like, what, what, I, to get to pop, which is always funny to me. Like, she's using this to get to pop. That's totally it. That's what I'm doing. Because then the country artists that go pop, like, shouldn't I end up mm-hmm. pissing off a certain segment yes, of their yeah. fan base? So it's like, why would you try to endear yourself to that fan base and then piss them off, like, immediately after? I don't know. And then for me, it's just like, so then I'm using as a black woman when there are like uh, most of the pop stars are black people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, why I'm going to go this way <laughs> to make it harder and then on yourself. go over there. Like, I don't know why, but that was a lot. And then, you know, there are those that said, well, I'll never play you on our radio station. So you don't even have to come in. It's fine. Or people that would give me like songwriting critiques. Mm. 
on an album that is already finished and in stores. Right. Like, great, let me write that down. I'll t- next time, I suppose, and when we do the remix, I don't know, but thanks. But I would say probably 90% of the visits that I went on were good visits, mm-hmm. and they were... Good visits, meaning like, I don't think anybody, had I come in and been a white boy or, you know, right. whatever, it would have been different. Like, I think it just was what it was. Right. So to, go, was, yeah. to go to something that you just said about, like, getting songwriting critique, you write a lot of your mm-hmm. own songs. And to loop back to the Dixie Chick song, this was the only song on that first album that they actually mm-hmm. wrote themselves because it is auto Yeah, it's about their family. About their family. And I just can't imagine somebody trying <laughs> to give them or you or anybody feedback about lyrics of a story that is of such a personal nature. It's like, how do you have any right to say anything about my song lyrics? I you mean, have not lived it. I, but it happens every day. I know. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it, that's not uncommon, yeah. apparently. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, especially that song. God. Well, the thing that was unique about that, talking about the Dixie Chicks, was that, yeah, at that time, mm-hmm. A lot of artists didn't, like, especially on your first album, you didn't write. Oh, no. Well, and that's something that has come up on this podcast over and over again. Like, we should go look at the actual numbers, but it would not surprise me if the majority of the songs that we've covered so far have been written by people Mm -hmm. other than the artists artists that we're talking about. Yeah, no, it just doesn't happen. Like, you have to be really gifted. I think it's happening more now Mm -hmm. in Nashville than the 90s for sure yeah. and and before then like yeah. there was there were people that did that for you here is your song uh-huh. go in there and sing it and yeah. be done with it yeah. like I remember when we did my record I didn't write three of the songs on my first album mm-hmm. and I remember that was like such a big deal it's like oh so you're, these these are Reese's songs oh, oh. <laughs> oh okay that's interesting alright but I did read where both of their first two albums there was a lot of I read some stuff that the producers wrote about just like a ton of time spent on the label and like that side of things in terms mm-hmm. of looking for the right songs that fit them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure with them also not just being vocalists but being people that wanted to play on their record, mm-hmm. you know, that was a different thing too in Nashville. Oh, no, you ain't play on your record. <laughs> like the fact that they did that, like when I saw that, that w- that's what hooked me. I was like, oh my God, and they play everything. They play like that's so yeah. dope. Like that's, who does that? When what I, female bands are doing that? Yeah, and I imagine it was more difficult, Spencer, like you were saying, to find the songs that fit because they were of this weird in-between. Reese, like you said, they look contemporary, but they sound very traditional. Very yeah. traditional. And they have a so, like, bluegrass background, too. Right. right. So, so how, do you, how do you, what songs even fit that mold and I think that they did a wonderful job and I think that they are one of the few popular 90s country bands that sounds very bluegrass Mm -hmm. most everybody is like the neo-traditional type of thing it's very pop sounding yeah Yeah. I mean Paul Worley one of the producers on that record and who produced them pretty much up until home I believe Mm -hmm. he's a great song Mm -hmm. guy like he picks really great songs I had the opportunity to meet him when I was in Nashville oh cool and on top of being a very nice man, like, he's just very... He's a song guy. Yeah. Like, Lady Annabellum is his band. Oh, and nice. he produced them and, like, helped them 
cultivate their sound and the songs. Mm -hmm. So he's like, he's a big song guy and he's good at picking this sounds good for your vibe kind of person. That's such an amazing talent. It is. It's a talent. It is a talent. Yeah. But it's almost like, how do you learn that? Can you learn it? Or is it just like an innate thing? I think it's innate. And I feel like we've had so many stories of like, oh, this artist passed up this song Mm -hmm. and then you know like Friends in Low Places Garth did a demo of that and then was like yeah I really love that song but they're not giving me a chance it's like just the right fit of artist and song because who was it that released that before him? Mark Chestnut Mark Chestnut Mark motherfucking Chestnut (laughs) Mark (laughs) Chestnut so yeah like and he recorded that song but it was kind of lame in comparison. So I I think that is a... (laughs) You know, it is interesting how one song recorded by one artist or that another artist passed up, like, just hits so much better with another artist. But I'm really interested in what they do, the Dixie Chicks has, with their album coming out next year and Mm -hmm. how much of that's originals Mm -hmm. and where it's coming from and, you know, with that much time off and, you know, both the sisters, Marty and Emily have had a duo that they've done stuff since the last album, I guess. And so I'm just curious how they bring that in together without having written much with Dixie Chicks in mind since. Right. Well, there's been predictions that T-Swift will be on their new album since they are on her newest album. Really? So, yeah. And Dan Arbox is doing theirs, right? Oh, I didn't know that. That's the rumor. I read that on Twitter. On the Twitters. Ooh. Because everything on Twitter is true. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm curious how that... (laughs) 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 Shit, there's a lot of stuff I have to change my mind about then. (laughs) Well, I didn't know that. I'm curious how that will go... So I feel like his he definitely puts a stamp on stuff production wise. Yeah. yeah. And I do not see that being a similar stamp to like what they've been doing. Does it doesn't mean it needs to sound just like everything they put out in the nineties or early two thousands, but I don't know. I'm not gonna lie. I would love a a return to Blake and Paul Mm -hmm. for them. I would just love one album. If they could do that, that'd be great. Because that to me is quintessential. Dixie Chicks. I mean, I'll, at this point, I'll buy it whatever it is. Right. Like whoever produces it. Yeah. That would make me happy. Yeah. I'm just waiting for those tour dates to get announced and mm. hoping that they're anywhere near here. Yes. Because I missed out on Dixie Chicks at a time. I think I was trying to be too cool. And like the stuff that was on the radio, it was like, it was really poppy. Mm-hmm. And then now, like going back and listening to the records, I'm like, well, that was super good all the way through all and like a lot through. of a lot of string band stuff going on that like doesn't really come across necessarily on the singles yeah I've really enjoyed kind of like rediscovering those records mm-hmm. because of this the yeah. deep cuts actually are probably the best stuff yeah 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 on all those first two albums yeah and home just <laughs> from beginning to end yeah and they like Patty Griffin too mm-hmm. and Patty Griffin is one of my favorite singers yeah. and so like let him fly and top of the world and all so if stuff. if you were to cover a Dixie Chick song on your next album, or well, her next all, album, is there done. one? Is there one on this upcoming album? <laughs> That's ah, let us give you no. some songwriting advice, real quick. I'm, what I'm, you want to do. do? No, it's not songwriting advice. It's <laughs> advice on what al- songs to put on your album. Very different. <laughs> uh, but what uh, what Dixie Chick song like would you love to cover? I would well or at between you or and mine, yeah. Or they have a song called "I Believe in Love" mm-hmm. from Home that yeah. I always just I love. And I actually used to do it live, live. an acoustic show. Uh huh. I mean, there's a ton. Like mm-hmm. I loved. Um, oh, I hope. Yeah. 
from Taking the Long Way is really great and actually would fit in what my current album sounds like. Yeah. There you go. An but, idea yes. for uh, live shows. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so will you tell us a little bit more about your upcoming album and sure when that's expected to come out and where sure. we can find it and all that good stuff? Um, the album comes out on October 22nd. It is called Revival. I named it that for a myriad of reasons. Um, my last album came out in 2015, and it was just an EP. So mm-hmm. this is the first full album. I mean, the first full adult album, I should say, okay. since my debut in 2007. Yeah. I actually produced two of the songs. Cool. Which is the first for me. And they're like super, super the most stripped down things on there because I'm like baby steps people. Baby steps. But, um, but it was, how cool to get to like no, try that out on your own album. It's awesome. And it's my band. Uh-huh. It's the first album that I've ever done outside of Nashville. Mm-hmm. It was done entirely in Durham using all my guys. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a different album. Like for sure. Like if you're looking for a return to 2007 it is right. not that it's a very as I spoke earlier a lot of my influence is varied and so there is some country on this but mm-hmm. it is a lot of my soul influences mm-hmm. a lot of gospel like the title track is a gospel song okay I mean there's horns on it and that's oh. the first time that I've ever done that and we had strings come in and like it's just it's super vibey like Muscle Shoals-ish okay. kind of vibe, like Dusty in Memphis yeah, kind of moments and things <laughs> of that nature. Um, it was produced, co-produced by um, Brian Owens mm-hmm. and Shannon Sanders, who produced on my first album, and myself. And I just, I'm super proud of it, like super, yeah. super proud of it. And it's like crazy honest. Mm-hmm. Like a Dixie Chicks record. Yeah. Bringing everything back. No, um, <laughs> like, circle. you know, I talked about, like, I had a miscarriage in 2018, mm-hmm. and I wrote about that. Mm-hmm. And my mother passed away when I was seven, and I am now the exact same age she was when she died. Mm-hmm. And that was jarring for yeah. me. And so I wrote a song about that. Um, there's a song called Seeds that was the first single, and Seeds is based on um, the murder of Michael Brown. And the uprisings in Ferguson, and we did a video for that, which um, very Dixie Chicks esque, pissed a lot of people off because <laughs> it depicts police brutality and also children in cages. And okay. so um, I just was very honest mm-hmm. on this record about how I feel about things. And so back to what I said earlier, like if you don't like this, and you definitely are not going I'm to like you. what you won't like me, right? Because it's very me. Especially right now. Yeah. Well, and that's so, it's so interesting, like, all the changes that have happened just in talking about you having kids and Mm -hmm. all of the changes that have happened in that amount of time and being able to funnel all of that Mm -hmm. into a new album and a new sound is very cool. Yeah. Do you, I'm glad you mentioned that about Seeds because I was thinking about that while you were talking, like, do you think that's the type of song you would have been able to put on? An album that yeah. wasn't independently released? No, 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 no. In fact, I talked to my old... <laughs> some people from the label, and they were like, ooh, how long have you had that written? And I was like, I just wrote that. And they're like, okay, because you could have never put that. You Like, the visual... The song is not as polarizing. Right, right, right. It's a little as, obvious in the video. As the video. Yes, right. the video brings... Brings all of Exactly out. what we were trying to say. Gotcha. And um, no, I would have never, no. As a signed artist, never. 
but, never. But how's that feel like being able to do that and not having it? It's great. <laughs> like I, I just you know like I miss having other people's money to play with <laughs> and like other people to do stuff. Right, and right. So all I have to do is literally just get dressed and go sing. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't trade having to do everything as opposed to having a voice now yeah. and right. being able to say because like I literally was just. I was the girl that sang the song. It was like, it was a Johnny Bravo situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, from Brady Bunch. Yeah, he's good. Because a lot of people don't get that reference. And I was saying, they're like, Johnny Bravo. But it was a Johnny Bravo situation. Like, you fit the suit. So you just go out and sing and fit the suit and sing what we tell you to sing. And like, I'd never want to do that again. Right. So I'm so glad you all get that. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So um, you said you don't have any shows booked just yet, but I'm playing a festival in Shelby, North Carolina on the 19th. And then that is it until next year. Yeah. I didn't take maternity leave. So like I had a show four weeks after the baby was born and I played (laughs) up until like a week ago. I was telling them earlier. And so like, no, I'm tired. You're a badass. Take a break. I want to just, yeah, my baby's starting to crawl and like, she's, she's it. Yeah. We're done. So I just want to enjoy her for the next couple months. Before we start going crazy again. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Thanks so much for joining us Thank today. Thank you for having this me. This has been great. And yep. thanks yeah. for listening today, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, Mom. <laughs>